says, bring in the sheaf, uh, which means a bundle. Other translations said, bring in the bundle of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest and wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted on the day after the Sabbath, the priest shall wave it. And when I was reading this text, one thing that just jumped out is this, the verse in the middle there that uh, he shall wave the sheaf before the Lord for you to be accepted. For, that word for, and I look it up, the word for means for the purpose of, in order to be accepted by the Lord, we need to offer God the best we have on the Feast of Firstfruits. We need to give Him what we value most, what costs us. We need to give Him first before we meet our own needs. And so here we are, we're waving the first fruits. He gets it first. Oh God, I'll pay all my bills. We'll see what happens then if there's anything left for you. That's what we do. It's what we tend to do. What we, our body, our mind would think might be a good idea, would make sense. But God says we just offer him first. Go ahead and do that. And first, when I looked it up, first means first as opposed to second, third, fourth, or last. Uh, you know? And first also means like it's the most or the greatest, the most important. He's first on the list. And so first, but most important of all is God. And so you can look at that in both ways, that word first. And so in the Hebrew scriptures, we see this. And I start to think that, you know, it's a harvest festival. And that may be one of the reasons it's not much in Judaism. I mean, Jews aren't farmers, are they? And so there's not a lot of Jewish farmers, at least running around here. Maybe in Israel, it's a different story. But here in America, you know, I grew up in New York City. I don't know anything about farming. And, uh, you know, but it's an agriculture. And so Jewish people, most are secular. So there's just no purpose for this holiday in a typical Jewish mindset. And uh, so I never celebrated. I don't even think I probably ever heard of it ever growing up. And so... It's not something that many Jewish people, first fruits, even know about, but it is in the scriptures there. It's a feast. And so, but then, this is probably, I think, what Rabbi Steve was thinking of when he asked me to speak today. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 20, Paul says, Messiah's been raised from the dead, the what? First fruits of those who are asleep. There's that word, first fruits. And, uh, Paul says that Yeshua is the first fruits of those who raise from the dead. He didn't just rise on any old day. It just, just didn't happen to be that day. He rose from the dead, Yeshua, on the feast of first fruits, specifically. And so I want to look at 1 Corinthians 15 and see what Paul wants us to learn and what he thinks we need to know. And so this is important. He rose on this feast, first fruits. And I think he makes some things here. He says some things here. Paul lets us know this is an important belief. In verse 1, starting off the chapter... Now I make known to you, brothers, the gospel or good news, which I preach to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, or your faith is squarely built on this message. 
It is built upon it. And so our faith is going to be challenged all throughout our lives. And if you're fortunate like me, you get sent to deprogramming. And that was a fun challenge. It well, wasn't fun, but it was a challenge, but it was very helpful uh, because it caused me to study the scriptures. I can't sit there and just say to someone, well, Rabbi Steve said it in Saturday, so I believe it. That's nice, but it ain't good enough. We need to study the scriptures and actually know what we believe and why we believe it. Because our faith will be challenged. I mean, think about it, what we see in the New Testament, that what the enemy, Satan, he tempted and tested Yeshua. I mean, if he's crazy enough to think he could test Yeshua and he's got a chance at defeating him, he's not too threatened by any of us. I mean, we're just not in the same company of Yeshua, our understanding of Scripture. And so he's not afraid of us. He knows even most people that call themselves Messianic Christian barely read the Bible and know what it actually means. So he's not too intimidated by most people. We need to actually know for ourselves what we believe. And, and so being, you know, God works all things together for good. So being sent to the programming, man, I had to learn what I believe and understand it. To endure and make it through months of having my faith challenged. And all of our faiths will be challenged. And if you want your faith to be secure and remain, you've got to base it on the good news. That's what Paul says, squarely resting on this thing. This is what we have to do. Verse 2, then he says, by which you're saved. The good news is by which you're saved if, if, that's one of those conditional words, if you hold fast the word which I preach to you, if you hold on to that word, unless otherwise you believed in what? In vain. What does vain mean? Empty. Futile, foolish. If we don't hold on, what we think is our faith is just vain. It's empty. It's futile. It's useless. In the contemporary English version, he says, if you don't, your faith is all for nothing. If you don't hold on to the good news, it's all for nothing what you're claiming and saying. doesn't mean any good. The good news saves us from the consequences of our sin. So we need to hold on or cling to this good news. Otherwise, we're spiritually in trouble. If we let go of the good news, our faith will be in vain. Thesaurus, ineffective, unsuccessful, futile, worthless, or good for nothing. Good for nothing. If that's the case, you might as well stay home on Saturday and sleep in bed. It's a whole lot more comfortable. If you're not going to base your life on the good news and squarely stand on it, you know, you're just wasting a few hours out of your time. And so we need that. And so then he continues, I think, and gives here the de a definition of the good news. First, most important thing I know. I mean, if you ask all sorts of people, what's the most important thing? Paul says, this is it. Died, buried, rose, and appeared. That's the most important thing you need to remember. More than anything else, he died for our sins. He was buried. 
He rose on the third day. And then not only that, he says he appeared too. And he lists a handful of people. And then he says to what, over how many people? Five hundred. This isn't just, you know, some good. Five hundred. Yes. There were eyewitnesses. He's telling you this because he wants you to know that, hey, there's a whole bunch of people alive and well, breathing, speaking, that they can stand there in a court of law and say, yes, I saw him face to face. With my own eyes, I saw him. We can believe this. And so there's eyewitnesses. to Because people would just laugh at you. He rose from the dead and you hung out with him again. He was dead. We all know that. And so it'll be easy to mock a faith about resurrection. And so God made sure there were witnesses, eyewitnesses, over 500. Keep that judge busy, one after the other. Eyewitnesses coming to court, telling their story, what exactly they saw, what really happened, and get over 500 confirming witness accounts of the same exact thing. This man really was alive and well, walking and talking once again. This is the most important thing we base our faith on. Later in the chapter, what does he say? For if the dead aren't raised, then not even Messiah has been raised. If it's impossible for anyone to rise from the dead, then Messiah didn't. And if that is the truth, if Messiah has not been raised, then what? Once again, what does he say? Your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. You're still lost in your sins. They've never been forgiven. And that means we're still separated from God. If he did not rise from the dead, we're still lost in our sins, separated from God. The resurrection, belief in the resurrection is extremely important. I would have thought just at the beginning, I just thought the death of him, he provides atonement for my sins. Paul goes, though, and says, true, that is important, but equally so is the resurrection. And so we need to accept that, the resurrection. Otherwise, it's all a waste of time. It means nothing. In verse 20, but... Messiah has been raised from the dead. The verse we read earlier, the first fruits of those who are asleep. After telling that, you know, some people doubt and don't believe he rose from the dead, Paul says, I am convinced it is proof. We have all these eyewitnesses. And so Messiah did rise from the dead, and you can be certain then that your sins are forgiven. You can be certain, confident, assured of this truth. Your sins are forgiven. You, can be, you are reconciled with God. You're not separated from Him anymore. But then he goes on and tells us now there's an order. First, He's the first fruits. And so we see in 23, there is an order, a sequence. Messiah, the first fruits. And then, when He comes, those who belong to Him. So there's an order. Messiah rises from the dead first. And then people who belong to Messiah. And a few years ago when I spoke on this at a church in Valrico on 1 Corinthians, on, uh, these words jumped out at me, belong to Messiah. I like that. 
He says we have to belong to him. We have to be his possession. And then it hit me, well, Lord, Adonai also means master, owner. Well, if Yeshua is our master and owner, then we're his possession and we belong to him. There's a mindset to that, an understanding. If we are his possession and we belong to him, then we'll, be ro we'll rise from the dead. But we have to belong to him for that to happen. And then in 1 Thessalonians, Paul says, let me break it down even more, the dead in Messiah, those who believed in Messiah before they died. All right, so what you believe now is what counts. This is it. This is important. You have to believe and trust in him, belong to him, before you breathe your last breath. Because faith is sealed at that moment. Eternity is sealed at that moment. And so, and we have no clue when that day's coming. And so that's why they talk about, you know, we, we can't just keep putting things off because we got no clue what happens later and what happens tomorrow. I mean, most people don't get to hang around along like Miss Jeannie here. This lady's amazing. God's amazing. She's not going anywhere. She's staying with us. Most people give up long before. Their bodies wear out. She's still going. She may not be dancing anymore often, but she's still here worshiping. We don't know when that day's coming. And so first those who died already believe and rise, and then after that, those of us who are still alive, when that day comes, then we'll follow and join them so we can be with him forever. Being with him forever, we want that assurance that we will have that. In verses 42 to 44, he compares. There's a natural body and a spiritual body. The natural body, do you see the words he uses to describe it? Perishable, dishonor, and weakness. This body will perish. It's not made to last. It will perish. That's the way it is. But we have a new body, a spiritual body. And that spiritual body will never perish and the words glory and power are used to describe it. In contrast to this body we're hanging out with now. And so that's good because we'll be with him forever. So we'll get a body that'll last forever. We'll put the doctors out of business. They better enjoy their wealth now. Because there'll be no work for them left afterwards. Huh? Nothing left for them to do. After Yeshua. They can enjoy eternity with the Lord, but they'll be out of a job, huh? I never thought of that before. See, that's why you got to keep studying. God keeps bringing new revelation and, and understanding. Ah, that's good. The resurrection is important. It is extremely important. If he did not rise from the dead, then nobody else ever will. Our faith would be worthless we'd be lost in sin, but he did rise from the dead. And if we belong to him, we are guaranteed to rise from the dead when he returns so that we can live with him forever. This is the promise the scriptures make for us. Rising from the dead is not a new belief that appeared in the new covenant scriptures. 
It's just some good old-fashioned Jewish teaching. Myomides 13 principles faith mentions it, but more importantly, the Word of God mentions it. Because Myomides got things right, but he also got things wrong. He was a man. And so, but Daniel, these words are in the Scriptures, so we know it's true. There'll be times of distress in the end times. You think you got problems now. You think life is difficult now. It's going to get even crazier. In the end, there'll be distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, everyone whose name is found written in the book will be rescued. There's going to be chaos and distress, but people will be rescued if your name is in that book. Many who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, whose name is in the book, but others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Other people say heaven and hell. I think the concept's the same. There's two destinations for us to go to. In the end, everyone will rise, and then the only question is, where are you going? That's the only question. It's a fact we will rise. And so who will experience everlasting life? People whose names are written in the book. Paul says people who belong to Messiah, who is the Passover lamb, will rise from the dead. And the book of Revelations mentioned that the book is the lamb's book of life. So this book is his. And so if you belong to Yeshua, your name is guaranteed written in the Lamb's book of life. Yom Kippur is a great opportunity to challenge our Jewish friends. He's not making it up every year in September. There's a book. And if you belong to him, your name's already written in there and it's staying put. It's never coming out. And then you'll know that day when Yeshua reappears Together with Jeannie, we'll all go together because she's sticking around. And together we can all go and be with him. This is the promise. And this is why he's the first. He's not the only one. The first means there's at least two. And there can be a whole lot more after that. So he's the first and that's what we have. And so I hope that everyone here, you belong to Yeshua. I hope that your name, if you do, is written securely in the Lamb's book of life because ultimately you'll rise. And the choice is yours while you're still alive where you rise to. And so let me pray for us. Lord, thank you that Yeshua did rise from the dead. Proof that resurrection is possible. It is real. And Lord, we all will rise. All bodies will rise up out of the earth in the end times after Yeshua comes back. And Lord, we all go somewhere for eternity. And Lord, your desire, more than all of ours even, is that we would live with you forever. And you tell us simply in scriptures how to do that, how to have that assurance, that guarantee. Lord, that if we belong to Yeshua, become his possession. Allow him to be master and owner.
then, Lord, we will rise to meet him and spend forever with him. And so, Lord, I trust that everyone in this room, everyone watching on Facebook, that every one of us belong to you. And so that together we'll spend eternity with you, all of us. And if by any chance anyone here or on Facebook Live watching, is their name's not there, Lord, stir their heart and speak clearly to them at this moment that they would surrender. Stop trying to be their own Lord and Master but confess with their mouth, bow with their knee before you, the real Lord, master and owner. And I ask this in the name of Yeshua.